This episode is brought to you by One World Empowered. Hey there, tired mama. Do you wish you could push a reset button on your energy? Like, do you want to keep up with those energizer bunnies that are running around you all day? I know, I know, I know. I feel ya. Coffee can only do so much. Well, don't you worry. I've got you covered. Now just imagine a community of mamas who know the struggle and are working together to harness and reclaim their energy. We're talking about a true community of mamas who get it. Daily practices to jumpstart your days, accountability partners, group coaching calls to ground and recenter you throughout the 28 days. Does this sound like the exact dose of medicine you need in order to feel 100% again? If so, this program is exactly what you need if you want to be more present with your kiddos, if you think a new routine will help you maximize your time and you enjoy having an accountability partner to help you with developing that new routine and those new habits, if you'd like to increase your patience and energy all while reducing your stress and anxiety, and if you think it would be amazing to have an understanding community of mamas who get it and are on the same path towards healing. Mama, today is the day you choose you and level up. Come join our 28-day energetic reset for moms by visiting www.oneworldempowered.com slash work with me and click the learn more option next to the energetic reset program or just scroll down and click the link in my show notes below. I can't wait to meet you and witness you step into your full potential. See you there, mama. You're listening to the Empower to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Dina T, and I'm so excited to take you on a journey through stories of everyday experts as we share the ways we've harnessed the power inside us to improve the quality of our lives and the health of our minds. We're so excited to have you here with us and hope you feel inspired and empowered to heal. Hello, you beautiful souls. I am so excited that you're joining us today. We have such a special guest today. Last week on our episode, episode 29, Rebecca shared her story of being a mama, navigating ending a toxic and abusive relationship while trying to meet the needs of her children and the needs of herself. And today we have her daughter, Serena, joining us, sharing her perspective. Serena is going to start us out by reading a letter that she wrote during her healing process. And then we're going to jump into conversation with her and her mama, Rebecca, to talk through her experiences of being in the middle of her parents' toxic and abusive relationship and the impact that that had on her mental health and how the toxicity of that relationship became an abusive relationship for herself between herself and her father. Now, Serena is being real with us today. She is sharing the reality of what this is like. And I want you guys to be aware that we're going to be talking about hard stuff. It is hard to hear when people are going through mental health crises, let alone hard to hear that from a child. We are going to be talking about Serena's experiences with navigating instances of self-harm, 
including cutting and restricting food and hurting herself in other ways. And we're going to be talking about suicidal ideations and her suicide attempts. Please be aware that this episode might be triggering for some, but it is an invaluable perspective from a child that I think the world needs to hear. In addition, I have added some music throughout this episode from the nonprofit organization called MyTuneIn. MyTuneIn.org is a nonprofit organization that is designed and dedicated to creating opportunities for self expression for children in its community. MyTuneIn creates access and opportunities for young people to have the tools, resources, and platforms they need to express themselves. The song we're going to be playing for you today is from King of New York. I'll play bits and pieces of it throughout the episode, and then at the end, I will play the entire song so that you can hear it and honor the beauty of it. If you want to learn more about MyTuneIn or donate to this nonprofit organization, you can head on over to www.mytunein.org. I will provide the link in my show notes to this episode. Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn some invaluable information. Depression is different for everyone, but it is a real thing. It's not a choice, just a reaction to trauma. If you think about it, depression is like a bruise. When you get hit, it hurts really bad at first. The bruise forms and it hurts if you touch it, even on accident. It slowly heals and sometimes you do it all over again. Now, I'm going to tell you how I feel about my past before I got depressed. I miss who I used to be, how innocent I used to be, how I was happy to be alive, never had to worry about overthinking, never had to worry about people leaving or hurting me. I miss being able to do just whatever and not worry about what will be said. I miss living my life without being terrified of what will happen if I live even a little when I didn't have to feel like a part of me is missing. I miss when I thought my life was perfect. I miss being oblivious of everything, when I didn't have to worry about being disowned, when I felt safe to be alone with my dad. I miss being able to look at myself and think that I'm perfect. I wish I never had the thoughts while looking at myself that I wasn't pretty enough not skinny enough, not enough. I miss when death never crossed my mind. When I feel like I was important, smart, loved, and worthy, I miss thinking that my life couldn't get any better. I miss thinking that everything was going to stay the same. Everything would be the greatest. After I stopped feeling this, I felt pain. Imagine yourself feeling the way I used to, and then imagine what I'm about to tell you. You feel like it was all a part of your imagination. You feel like you just woke up from a dream. You're faced with what's really going on. You realize that your dad has been abusing you your whole life, making you feel useless, worthless, unimportant, stupid, a mistake, make you think everyone would be better off without you. 
then everything starts to fade away. First your laugh, then your smile, then your happiness, all of your emotions besides hate towards yourself, anger and sadness, all gone, then your appetite, then your weight, then your energy, and most of all, your wish to live. Can't even fake a smile. With feeling that way, you say bye to the world. You go through with it, and then you think of that one person you need to help get through this time, so you come up just in enough time. You were seconds from death, but had to stay for someone else because they mean more to you than you do yourself. You did this a few more times because you think you're done, but something else happens. You feel like there is no help for you. Then you get caught hurting yourself. They told you that you had to get help. And again, you only do it for that one person. You feel so violated when they had to check you. That one person you did this all for is crying and you can't even and can't even look at you. You can see the hurt in their face and it doesn't hurt you or even bother you. You hate yourself even more because you don't care that they are hurting. You don't care about anything anymore. You just want to go, be done. You're treated like a prisoner. You were told to take pills. You pretended to get better just to get out. Eventually, you do. You get better, not to who you used to be, but better. Everyone treats you differently, like you are fragile and can explode at any moment. It makes you feel worse. You try your best to get better. Then you become stronger than you ever knew you could be. You go through a lot of pain and bad times that drag you down. Then you get better and something else happens and you're back down until finally you shut it all out and start hating everyone. Then you start having hope and start crying again. You start seeing your abusive father and you have an, a panic attack and start to think, why aren't you enough? Not smart enough, pretty enough, thin enough, fun enough. And you start to believe everything is your fault all over again. You talk to the one person who makes you feel the most loved, wanted, and beautiful. He, he helps you through it and you get better. You give it another shot with your dad and he hurts you again. You get over it. You go and see the most important thing in your life when your dad isn't supposed to be there. And you get nervous, but it goes well until you have to say goodbye. He tells you that it's all your fault because of you, he's losing everything. You were hurting for a few weeks until you finally broke down. You felt better afterwards. Then you have to tell your dad what he did to make you feel. And you have to explain to him why his kids got taken away from him. You are stressing really bad about that and school. You start to lose sleep and lose weight. You're terrified to do it because you know that if you do, he is going to tell your brothers and you're going and they're going to use it to hurt you. You're terrified that that entire side of the family will disown you. 
you didn't know if you did, you were going to lose a part of yourself. But you do it and you feel better that you got it off of your chest. But you were hurt because his apology meant nothing. Because he doesn't even know what he's apologizing for. You have a really hard time for a couple of weeks. Then spend one day with the one person you love and everything disappears. The pain, the hurt, your depression, your anxiety. And nothing matters besides the way that they make you feel. You feel better and truly happy. Then you start to worry about being hurt. You're so in love with this one person. You don't know if you would be okay if you lost them. Then you have to remind yourself that you are stronger than you think. Also, they love you too all the time. You do this for a couple of days and now this is where I'm at right now. Wow, Serena. How did it feel sharing that with the world? I've read it so many times that it's kind of a reminder to prove to myself that I'm strong and I can get through anything if I just try. No truer words have ever been spoken. You can get through anything and you've proved that you can get through anything. It's not always easy. Sometimes it hurts like hell, right? Yep. But you can do it. And you can do it with the right people by your side and with the right opportunities in front of you. The rainbow came after the rain. The birds have sung their songs. And I know it's not on me. I know I did nothing wrong. I'm doing better now. Hi there, Serena and Rebecca. Thank you both so much for joining us today on the Empower to Heal podcast. Hi. <laughs> I am so excited. So this is our very first episode having multiple guests on at one time. And Rebecca was on the podcast episode that we just aired. And we thought it would be a really powerful experience to invite her daughter, Serena, on as well. So both Rebecca and Serena are joining us today. I am extremely excited, Serena, to get to learn from you because you offer a unique perspective on this podcast that I feel like can really provide balance and insight for the people who listen. So Rebecca, you shared a little bit about your journey and your experiences going through some pretty traumatic, difficult times, and then supporting your children going through some really difficult, painful, traumatic times as well. And in that experience, you shared about your daughter's strength and Serena, your mama just talks so highly of you and your bright mind and your ability to get through difficult stuff. And so I'm excited to learn a little bit from you today of what it was like as a child going through those experiences and how you kind of navigated that road and the road you're still on of healing. So for us today, I think we can just kind of start at the very beginning. And I, I want to know, Serena, when did you first start experiencing or noticing 
that you were not feeling so great. Your emotions were off a bit. I would have to say I started feeling not necessarily myself around sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, my father wasn't like the best role model or mm-hmm. father, I should mm-hmm. say. And so I used to think like so highly of him and used to think that he was so amazing and so perfect because he would take us out and let us go play games at like main event or something like that. But then I put two and two together. Like the only times we went and did that stuff is when he did something wrong. Mm. And it seemed like it was his way of apologizing without actually saying the words, Mm. like yelling at us for no reason or telling me to go find my real dad because I wasn't his kid. Mm. Like we'd try to like, that was his way of trying to make me forget is the easiest way or the one time that he made me and my brothers lie to my mom about leaving my pit bull in the middle of the desert oh to die. My goodness. yeah so like that was his way of making us forget or apologizing is the way that I felt and I started to see through that and I eventually told my mom I didn't want to go anymore and I stopped going for a while And then I went back because he changed and he started acting better and he stopped saying hurtful things. Well, you initially went back because I had talked to you about the relationship between me and my dad. Yeah. And I told you that the worst thing that I could ever want for one of my kids is for you not to open up your heart to forgiveness and try that relationship and miss out on something that I missed out on because I had that hatred in myself yeah and that was like one of the things why I went back is like if I were to have kids when I was older I didn't I didn't want them to grow up not knowing their grandfather or not know where they came from like I did that's a really powerful perspective for a young person to be able to think that far in the future and try to make decisions today that are going to impact your children one day. That's an amazing mindset to have, Serena. I've always been like that. Like, I've always thought about the future. Like, when I was younger, I always wanted to be in the medical field mm-hmm. with my mom. And she had a lot of health issues when I was younger. Mm-hmm. When she had her breast reduction, I was there to, because my dad wasn't. So I was there to help re-bandage her, help her shower, help her get everything ready and make sure that she was okay and that she wasn't overdoing herself at eight years old Mm. when got her uh, gallbladder removed I was there flushing her tubes and getting all the blood out of her tubes and changing her tubes oh my gosh you're so much stronger than I am just you saying that I'm like oh (laughs) wow Serena (laughs) it's always kind of been me and her and when eighth grade hit is when it got really bad Mm. it was a week before thanksgiving of 2017 um i came home and i was in a terrible mood and my mom just saw it in my face and she's like what's wrong and before i can even let the out words this was my breaking point and i broke down and i told her i was like i'm done i'm done with him i can't do it anymore all he wants to do is talk bad about you and make me seem like a bad person for loving you. And 
wants me to hate you even though he knows that I can't and when every time I try to tell him that his or try to put my input in he tells me I'm wrong or I'm dumb or I'm stupid because I don't see it Mm. and um she told me she was like well then that's it you won't see him anymore Mm. so I didn't and um the week after that was Thanksgiving and I went to Texas to see my uncle, but it was just me and my grandma and a few of my cousins, and I was away from my mom. I struggle with severe separation anxiety. Okay. Like, I have to go back. What is that like for you? It, it kind of takes a toll because it just feels like I can't be by myself, no matter how much I would want to. And it just, it, it feels like something is missing, Mm. like something that you need, but you can't have. And I have it with a few other people other than my mom, but it's not as, as bad it is with my mom. Mm. It was like day two of being in Texas. And I was like, I need to go home. And we were there for a whole week. And I was just, I I lost the ability to smile, to laugh, to even fake all of it, to enjoy time. I was just, I was so gone. And that's really compounded. So you're, you're talking about the separation anxiety, but you're also talking about the reality that this is following a very emotionally abusive time period with your father and hitting a breaking point. And so that's like compounded together at this time where you're in Texas. Yeah, well, I also, I have a tendency of pushing everything down until I reach a breaking point. And when I reached that breaking point, everything disappeared. My feelings, everything. Like, I went completely numb. And when I came back from Texas, um, it was, like, two weeks until, like, Christmas. And, like, the week before. It was a month. All right, well, it was a month. And then <laughs> I, I was going to say two weeks before you left, but okay. But like oh, a week, three weeks, yeah. a week before Christmas, my stepdad's mom passed. Mm-hmm. And my mom went with him to Iowa. So that was another few days without her. Mm-hmm. A week without her. And um, that's really when I lost everything. Yeah. And for us, I think at that point, because I was not familiar with emotional and mental health as much as I am now, obviously. Um, and to, to be honest, I don't, I don't know if I even said this on my podcast, but I'll be a hundred percent honest. I used to be one of those people that didn't really think depression was as real as it is. Mm. And I be one of those people that used to frown upon people that talked about committing suicide because I'm like, Oh, you just want the easy way out. You know, Mm -hmm. that was wholeheartedly the way I saw things and not that it was right, but that was just, I was, it was ignorance, honestly, and not knowing the severity of things, Mm -hmm. but especially with her, like I had no clue about separation anxiety. I didn't know that that even existed. I didn't think it was a thing. Um, I just knew that she has clung to me since she was a baby. 
And I'm like, okay, we got to cut the milk cord. Like, <laughs> you'll be fine. No, boom, got to push down the door kind of thing, you know? And I didn't have any idea that it was to the severity of what it was. And so when I had decided to leave um, to go to Iowa to be there for her stepdad during this very rough time for him, I had had my kids go and stay with my parents. And I'm like, she'll be safe. It's okay. Um, they love her and she knows that and they're going to be there and grandpa's going to spoil her and they're going to have Coke and Oreos every night before bed. Like I thought it was going to be totally fine. I didn't think even twice that it was going to cause a problem. And I didn't notice it until we got back. So we got back um, Christmas Eve and I noticed that my little girl was not there anymore. Like mentally, she was not there. And we had already been fighting for over a month to get her into some kind of therapy, but we were unsuccessful because of the whole court issue and legality of it, you know? So as a mom, not understanding what mental health can do to a person, I think was my biggest barrier at that point to really be there a hundred percent for her and, and meet the needs that she needed at that point. I like what you just said, Rebecca, when you said not understanding what mental health meant for her in that time, not understanding what she was going through in the depths of it. I think that's something that all parents who have children who struggle with the health of their mind go through and there comes a moment of realization of like a, oh, snap, like this, this is what's going on. What was that moment for you guys? Probably when I told her I was self-harming. Mm, tell me a little bit more about that, Serena. Well, there's many reasons why people self-harm. And uh, the reason that I did is because I was, I was so numb and I really didn't want to lose myself to a dark place. So the only way I thought I could feel emotion or feel anything other than numbness was to self-harm. And when you say self-harm, so that's like a word that I feel like um, is used pretty common in counseling and therapy and that type of stuff. But what does that mean for you? What does hurting yourself mean? Pretty much just putting my body at risk. Like I used to cut. I used to never eat like ever. I didn't eat anything when I got mad or frustrated with myself or anybody else, a way that I handled that anger, I was so frag like fragile to like anger and every little thing made me mad. And the only reason why I didn't hurt anybody was because I would hurt myself instead. So like if I got mad, I would punch the floor so I didn't put a hole in the wall or I'd punch myself in the leg and make myself have bruises. It was just a way of dealing with the anger and frustration with everybody else. Wow, Serena. And you were doing this in silence for a while. Like you didn't let anybody in on this. Yeah, with my dad, I told my dad that, well, I told my mom when I was in sixth grade, when all of this like started happening that I told her I wanted to crawl under a rock and die. Well, she had to tell my dad because they did share custody. And when he found out 
he yelled at me and basically told me I was dumb and that if I was going to say something like that, then I should probably go on with it and through it. Whoa. So you tell your dad how you're feeling and he's telling you, fine, kill yourself. Kind of, yeah. Holy smoke, Serena. So that's like you, you outreached for help and you needed to feel heard and understood in that moment. Tell me what you needed. What did you need people to tell you and do for you in that moment? People, I didn't need anything from people. What I needed from my father was something I knew I was never going to get. What I needed was to know that he loved me, that he was going to be there for me. Because as a child, it was never me. (laughs) I had concerts, never went, but he took every day off to go and see my brothers play football. Never showed up to my concerts. And the one time that he did, he walked out right before my solo. And I had to watch him leave as I sung. Serena, all you wanted was your dad to see you and cherish you, love you, celebrate you. I tried so hard and I did everything that I could to be perfect. Great days. I did volleyball. I got honor roll. I, I made child of the month awards. I did extracurricular activities. I did everything that I could to make him notice me. And no matter what I did, it, it didn't matter. Wow, Serena. And you're describing something that I think is really important to talk about for a second here but you're talking about the pressure that you put on yourself, the responsibility that you put on yourself as if you are responsible to make a parent love you. And that's not your pressure or your responsibility to hold. You are loved simply because you are here. You are in existence, your soul, your body, your life exists and you are loved for that. And to feel like you have to earn or do the things for somebody in order to get an ounce of that feeling of love. Oh my gosh, that that's just heart-wrenching for me to even hear as a parent, right? Because no way, Jose, like my baby is going to know he's loved no matter what, right? Like, I don't care. I'm going to make sure he knows he, he's loved on good days and days that are bad days. Like he will be loved. And, and to hear that you had to fight and try and outshine other people in order to be noticed at such a young age that does a number to your mind, to your self-esteem, to your sense of self-worth. Well, also when I was younger, my mom used to work nights all the time and work all the time. And it was just me and my brothers because my dad slept all day. So um, I took on the responsibility of Every morning, I would set out my younger brother's clothes to make sure he had matching clothes and his uniforms were cleaned. And I would do laundry for both me and my brothers. And I'd make sure that they ate dinner or ate lunch. And then I'd walk them home, make sure they did their homework, clean up the house, whatever needed to be cleaned or at least tried, make sure I did my own homework. Mm. So you were parenting, in essence. You were a little kid parenting your siblings, making sure that they have everything they need, and also trying to show up in a way where you can try and get what you need. So tell me a little bit, like this does a number to your sense of self-worth. 
And when I say that, I want, I want everyone who's listening to hear and understand that every human at every phase of life needs to feel worthy and loved and cherished and special and honored every phase of life. And children especially need this as they are developing your mind and your own, especially like in, in the formative years of developing an identity, right? And personality. Those are years where it's so important to have that, that reassurance around you, that support system around you that pours in around recognizing you are worthy. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of happiness. You do not have to do anything to earn or deserve that. You just are because you're Serena, because you're a life and a soul in this universe. And as a child, when you don't experience that, or you have compounding experiences that, that go against that, it can really rip you apart inside. And I know you described like everything came to a head your mom was in Iowa. You were like week number two of separation anxiety, three or four weeks out from pouring your heart out to your mom at your wits end with your dad and the emotional abuse that you were experiencing there. And, and tell me, what were you feeling at this point now, right before Christmas? What was going on inside you? Nothing. Mm. Complete. Em Complete emptiness. Mm. I just felt like I didn't have control anymore. Like it is just my conscious just living in an empty body is kind of what it felt like. I had no emotion, no sense of what was happening. It just felt like I was there. And was this something that you could witness, Rebecca? Oh yeah. What was it like for you? What did you witness? Um so on a typical Christmas, even prior to this, with my brother being the only boy out of us eight kids, he has been the only solid uncle, you know, like all of us girls have been married and divorced <laughs> and then married and divorced. <laughs> so, I mean, when it comes to uncles, my brother literally has been the one solid and out of all of my nephews and nieces. 90% of them are all boys. So there literally at that time was four girls that he had for nieces and every single one of them treasured their uncle John and they would just go bonkers when he would show up. When he leave, I had to like, yeah, they had to sit down on the floor and hang on to his <laughs> legs and totally leave without. Yeah. We'd have to um he had missed some Christmases with us and we didn't know at this year we didn't even know if he was going to be able to show up or not with everything going on after I talked to him about how she was doing he made sure that they could make it that year and I held it because I wanted it to be surprised. And I thought if anybody can bring this girl out of this, it's her uncle John. Mm. And not that she wasn't happy to see him, but it wasn't like normal where she almost tackles my six foot two brother to the ground because she's so excited to see him. It was just like, hi, uncle John and give him a hug mm. kind of thing. 
And there is one picture that was captured that year for Christmas. And I look at that picture and you can see in that picture just the sadness and emptiness in that Christmas. Mm. And picture of me in the middle and I was holding her stepdad on one side and I was holding her on the other side of me and just the the it's like the emotion just pops out of this picture and you can see it's just grief and sadness Mm. and pain and that's what the Christmas was like that is one Christmas that I don't want to remember Mm. everybody was sad she I don't think was smiling except in one photo. And that's because I forced all the kids to smile for one family photo, but you can tell it was a forced smile. You know, I know. Then you look at those photos where you force people to smile and you're like, it's not even a happy memory. <laughs> it's not. It, you know, it's just, we talked a lot about in this, that, well, in our career that we shared together for a while, how, you know, you can feed and feel other people's emotion around you. And there was just, she had this bubble of sadness and grief and pure just emptiness mm-hmm. around her and everybody felt it. Everybody did. And Serena, it came to a head. At what point in time were you, I mean, I don't want to do a spoiler alert or anything, but spoiler alert, you wanted to die. Like you told your mom at some point in time that you wanted to die. Tell us how, tell us how you got to that point and what that was like to find the courage to speak those words to your mom and what happened after that. Well, it was January and I went to go and see my godmother, my mom's best friend. I went to go and see her and she just, she's like, baby, what's wrong and I just at that point I just couldn't I couldn't do it anymore and I was like I don't want to be here she said well I can take you home and I was like no I don't want to be here I don't want to be on this earth I don't I don't want to live and she's like why do you say that and I was like I'm just so done with life I don't everything that's ever happened to me has only been bad like no one wants me here like that's the way it felt And then I told her that I was self-harming and she told me that she'll give me a week. I had a week to tell my mom or she would tell her. So it was kind of like I was I was pushed to tell her, but in my own time in a way. Mm -hmm. So I told her that I didn't want to be here on the earth. And so she called the emergency. Well, you didn't tell me. You couldn't. You had to write it. Oh, down. yeah. I couldn't tell her. Like, I couldn't say the words. I had to type. I had. I pretty much texted her because mm. I couldn't, couldn't get it out. But um, she called, like, the hotline, and they came in, and they asked me a bunch of questions, like, if I ever wanted to hurt anybody else or if I wanted to hurt myself or if I just, like, things like that. And I said, yes. And then they said, do you have any weapons in here that you could hurt yourself with? And I said, yes. And they're like, can you give it to your mom? And I said, yes. Mm. So I did, I gave it to her. And this was like, 
a week before my birthday. A day. It, it was a day. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the day before It was the birthday. day before my b- birthday. It was at like two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And how old were you about to turn? 14. 14. And then two days after my, one day after my birthday, my mom got full custody of me and my brothers. Well, let's back up. On that day that crisis came out, that's the night that I found out that she was actually self-harming. I did not know. Mm-hmm. She kept it to herself. She, it was winter time, so she was in long sleeve shirts and pants. I had no clue. And I, I mean, at 13, you don't just pop in your girl's room. And so yeah, I had no clue that it was even that bad. And so that night I found out when they said, well, she agreed to give you the razor blades that she's using. And I'm like, what? Like, hold on. Can we back up a couple of set steps? Um, so that's when I found out. You took me to the doctors and then she made me fill out this paper about my mental health. And she didn't even look at the paper, but like the papers are like on a scale of one to 10, how badly do you want to die? And I like 10 and nine for like all of them. Mm. And so she look at the paper. She's like, you need to take her into St. Luke's right now. Rebecca, hearing that information for the first time, hearing that your baby is hurting herself, hearing that she doesn't want to live, and having being inundated with this like system of stress of calling crisis lines, everything just kind of blows up, like sound the alarms, right? What are yeah. you going through as a mama in that moment? Honestly, I think in that moment, it was just, obviously I had emotion and I was sad. I was pissed off. Mm-hmm at my ex-husband worried all at the same time but it was just like okay what's the next step like I kept my focus on what's the next step so you were in like get it done mode right like parents kind of go in this hyper drive of like I have to keep my baby safe I'm gonna like get it done yeah and to be honest that day that night isn't when it hit me mm. um, the severity of where she was at it's the 24th it was the day that we went into the hospital mm-hmm. they when we they are already waiting for us and they got her into a room and they told me that they had to do a body check and I had no idea what a body check was oh. uh, first time you know hello I'm, I'm new to this you know and so they had asked me if I wanted to stay in the room or if I wanted to leave and I was like I'm not leaving my daughter And so when they had her undress and I looked at my daughter and I saw new and old cuts from shoulder to elbow down both arms, from her hip to her knee down both legs, and then from right underneath her breast to her pelvic bones, just covered hundreds, that's when it hit me. And I remember just, I sat down and I lost it. And I didn't typically cry in front of my kids very often, but I was doing the snotty nose, ugly cry by that point. 
and I couldn't control it anymore. Like I couldn't be that strong per se mom at that moment. And that's when you knew I was gone. Yeah, I, Serena got her gown on and sat in the bed and the doctor had asked, you know, how does that make you feel seeing your mom so upset? And she kind of just shrugged her shoulders and said, what can I do about it? And that's when I knew I was like, that that's my baby girl is gone. Like that's not before if she even thought I was upset. Yeah. (laughs) She would. I start crying before she does. Yeah. And she could never like, she'd sit on my lap or she would be goofy. She would walk in acting like a dinosaur just to make (laughs) me laugh. Like, that was my daughter. Like she would do anything and everything to make sure mom was okay. So to see her just kind of shrug it off, like not my problem. What can I do? You know, that is when it hit me. And I, I guess I hit that lost spot. Mm. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't even know how to respond. I didn't know how to manage my own feelings. And I kind of just, I lost myself. As I'm hearing you guys talk about this, my brain's going to this place of other parents who might listen to this and be able to relate. And something that I, I always remind myself of are things called protective factors. And Serena, you have a mama who would do anything in the universe to make sure you know that you're loved. Anything in the universe. And you have a dad who you felt like you had to try to be amazing enough to get attention from, not even love, just attention from. And it's hard, I think, digesting what you guys are saying and the experiences that you have, knowing that you have the protective factor of your mama. Yeah, well, to continue on with what you were saying, like, I wanted to die because of the way that my dad made me feel. Mm-hmm. Like, just the feeling. And the only reason why I stayed alive, I tried to commit suicide on multiple occasions. And the only reason why I didn't completely go through with it was for her your mama yeah. she is your protective factor it was a matter of fact of like I can't let her do this on her own I have to be there for her and it wasn't like for the fact like I need to stay alive for her it was a matter of fact I need to help her get through this so you could think through what your mama needed in that moment and no I can't put her through that kind of yeah and I didn't want her to do it alone do what alone? Raising the two boys, <laughs> dealing with my crazy dad. And um, there was a lot of stuff going on. And so like, I didn't, I didn't want her to be alone. And I hear you say that. And part of me is like, wow, Serena, you're a protector. Like you experienced how bad it was with your dad. And now you're in protection mode of others around you to not have to experience that. Like you took the brunt of it. You tried to get out of it, but then you said, no, I can't escape. I'm going to continue protecting, even though I'm taking the brunt of it. Like, is that right? That was the main reason why I stayed with my dad as long as I did. Mm. It's for the fact that I wanted to protect my brothers. Mm. 
I'd rather take the hit, take all of it, than him push it on to either one of them. My brothers don't get it. They don't understand. They they never have. They don't see why I don't talk to my dad anymore. And they ask me why. And I tell them, I was like, I'll tell you maybe when we're older, but I'm not going to tell you now and have you think differently of dad. I don't want what my experience has been with him to change the way that you see him. Because they idolize him. Rena, you are, you, first of all, you are wise beyond your years. Second of all, you truly are still carrying the weight on your shoulders of protecting other people while you're in the darkest of dark moments. How? How do you even do that? And I, I want to break it down to the how because I, I, I believe in functionality. I believe in, in suicide awareness, suicide prevention, and people having an understanding of the exact ways that they can find the strength inside themselves, the hope inside themselves, the ability to keep going. And so do the best that you can, but ha- break it down for us. How do you do this? I guess it's just a matter of fact that I always grew up thinking I was less than everyone. So it was just a matter of fact of putting everyone above me and always thinking about what they needed and what I could do to give them what they needed. And at that point for my mom, it was keeping me alive. For my brothers, it was my secret. So you were pouring from an empty cup. Yeah. So when, at what point in your life did your cup start getting filled again so that you weren't completely depleted? Probably when I met my boyfriend. (laughs) Tell me more about that. I think that's real. And for all the parents out there hearing this that may like giggle or think that's silly, like the reality is at this age, teenage life, like social engagements, interactions, peers, relationships, they are everything. (laughs) And so Serena, tell me, tell me a little bit more about what that means. Um, well, I went into the hospital on January 24th. I got out January 31st, which was a terrible day to get out. Yeah. That's my dad's birthday. But yeah, um, and my mom, it was a Wednesday. So my mom wanted me to take the rest of the week off of school and not go to school and worry about it. So I didn't. And, um, I've had a crush on my boyfriend since like the beginning of the school year. So like the beginning of eighth grade in August and February came along and there was a school dance and I asked her friend go to it. She let me go. Me and him ended up talking and we ended up talking for a little while longer. And then I told my mom, I was like, I really like him. Can I date? My mom's had it bedded in her head that I couldn't date till I turned 16. (laughs) So she told me no. And so, but well, no, no, no. The reason why I told you no, though, wasn't because you were you were not sixteen yet. It's because you didn't know I was mentally healthy for it yet. Exactly. I felt that at that moment you needed to work on yourself before trying to please somebody else. Wow. Yes. So you want her to be, okay, you need to find out who you are. You need to work on yourself. You need to heal before you can pour into someone else. That's a parent brain, right? And I'm right there with that brain, right? Like I, I see it and I feel it, 
but on a developing brain of a child, you can't create and figure out who you are as a teenager without the peers and the social experiences and the interactions to pour into that. Little did she well, know no. he's the one who helped me figure out who I yes, that's what happens when you're a teenager. But as a parent, we're like, no, 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 no. I don't want any more risks. I don't want you putting yourself out on the line. Like you don't need your heart broken on top of this right now. You don't need to be trying to please somebody else. I don't know what that's going to look like in your first relationship. You just need to stay alive, my dear. Like that's the parent brain, right? Okay. <laughs> it's going in protective mode, a hundred percent. And we talk about this a lot and I'm going to say it like Rebecca, we talk a lot about like protect versus promote right? Like what do we do to protect ourselves, protect our children, protect our family, protect the health of our brains versus what we need to do to promote the health of our brains and promote healing, right? And those two things, we need both, y'all. We need both. They can't be one extreme without the other, but I love that you guys are bringing up the dichotomy of this. And I love Serena that you said, he's the one that helped you figure out who you are right now. He even told me himself, he's like, you can't, you can't love somebody else if you don't know how to love yourself mm-hmm. so he helped me find out who I was again when we were in school before we started dating like the way that he got me to smile and got me to like laugh was to play tag and he knew that because he knew I hated running but he knew he knew that I liked when he messed with me so he started playing tag with me again and started to make me smile and laugh. And then in the middle of math class, instead of doing math, he'd give me a piece of paper to draw, which was another one of my coping skills. So he just helped me find my roots of where I found happiness. My roots of where I find happiness. So now that you've found those roots, tell us what they are. I love to sing and dance. I love to draw and paint and most of all I like I like to be creative and create things that put a smile on other people's faces so for my mom's biological father's 10-year anniversary of his death she took it really hard so um, I went out and I bought a canvas and I drew and painted a picture of him and they didn't really have any pictures together of her when like recent pictures of her so I just combined an old picture that I had of him plus I added her in it of them standing by side side by side and I painted it and like I wrote something on it was like no matter how far you go no matter where you are know that I love you unconditionally whether if I'm here or not. Rena those are the words that you needed to hear from your dad. Yeah. And you're painting those words for your mom to hear from her dad. Yeah. Wow. It's words that you will probably never hear from your biological dad. No. To um, kind of bring that through, like, I've always tried to help the kids, like, find their little niche of what brings them joy and happiness. But since they can remember, I also kind of push them into something that brought me joy and happiness. Can I guess? Can I guess? Is this the skating? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And that has been something that 
even for her, like it was, it was a coping tool. Mm-hmm. And, and then when the rink collapsed, um, we cried together. Espresso, espresso. <laughs> to know that even one of her coping skills is drawing um, and she's so good at it. It it brings joy to my heart because my mom is an artist and it must have skipped a generation <laughs> because I can't draw for the life of me. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, none of my siblings can draw, but a lot of my nephews and she can draw. So I swear it skipped a generation. Recessive. <laughs> so it's awesome that, you know, she was able to hone in on those, those skills and, and through the programs that she was in, it really helped not just her to understand, but me as a parent, it helped me to understand what coping tools and techniques and skills are Mm -hmm. and be able to embrace them. Mm. You're bringing something up that I think is important to touch on. And I want everyone to hear this. Like Serena, you went into St. Luke's, which in Arizona, that's an inpatient behavioral health hospital. That was your introduction into behavioral health psychiatric services. At that point in time, you are put on medication management. Like, so you're, you start psychiatric medications to treat your depression and suicidal ideations. You're given a kind of case manager there who's supposed to help figure out getting you in outpatient services, which means when you leave St. Luke's, you get assigned to a clinic where you get a case manager um, attached. And that case manager is supposed to assess and evaluate what type of services would be beneficial or important to support you through your healing journey. And at that point in time, Serena, you got connected to a counselor and you got connected to the Meet Me Where I Am program. And then a psychiatrist, now patient psychiatrist, right? Yeah. I was in um, group therapy and then individual therapy. And then eventually, well, maybe a little at, bit longer down the line, I got into Maybe where I'm at started a month after you got out of the hospital. It took a little while to get it going. Oh, well, then, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so out of all those services, Rebecca, something that you shared that, that I want to highlight is those services taught you what the things are that help you feel better are, right? So coping skills is a just a system word to describe doing things that make you feel better, right? Being able to engage in an activity or a mindset or um, seek and, and, and interact with a situation, an environment, whatever it is that can affect and change your mood, your emotion for the better. And doing that ongoing can help you through your healing journey. Correct. And I, the reason why I'm kind of highlighting this is because I think it's extremely important for people to hear that the credit for your healing journey goes to you and your family mm-hmm. in taking action in doing the things that bring you happiness that express your emotions like art and drawing, things that move your body and help you feel different, like skating and laughing and going to a school dance, right? Those were the things that were healing for you. The credit does not go to the therapist. 
the credit does not go to the Meet Me Where I Am program or the hospital or the medication, even though all of those played a role in the journey, the thing that was healing for you were the action steps of what you did in your everyday life to make you your body feel different for you to see life differently. Yeah. yeah. And on that, like just a quick tidbit is as a mom that has gone through this with not just Serena, but my boys too on different levels, really having to allow myself to step back for a moment and accept wisdom and a different perspective of certain things from somebody else is humbling. And it is, can be hard sometimes because as parents, we're like, no, we know what's best for our kid. And this is how we want to raise our child. And this is our beliefs. And I'm just as one of those parents. Um, and I was a very, okay, I am a very strict parent. <laughs> Serena's nodding her head with wide eyes. <laughs> Let me go on my first date with my boyfriend until we hit two years. <laughs> anyway. So I understand these things about myself and there are certain things in my life that no matter what somebody else's perspective on a professional level, like I had my things that I was not going to waver on. However, learning about how coping skills work for the benefit and how those coping skills are going to look different for each of my children, I had to really look on certain things that most of us parents, we take away as a punishment. Mm. My boys love their video games. And most parents, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, they're like, fine, no video games. And I started that at first, like telling my oldest, you know what, you want to be a jerk to me and not talk to me? Fine. How about you just can't play a video game or you can't watch your TV or, and I take those things. And when I started to learn about how coping skills work and recognizing that video games was a coping skill for him. So instead of taking it completely away, you might be able to limit their time, but you don't take it completely away. You allow them to have that time to gather themselves, cope with whatever feeling that they're feeling so that they can be at a calm place to even have a discussion, have a conversation. And So I think that's just as important for any of these parents that are listening and trying to learn from this um, is recognizing what are those coping skills for your children, no matter what it may look like, even if it's a walk around the block, take a moment and maybe even ask them, hey, would you like me to go for a walk with you? And they may (laughs) not. Shakes her head. (laughs) You know, wanted that time alone and that's okay. But finding as a parent, what does that look like for your child and how can you embrace it is the best thing that you can do to help them better themselves. That is so well said. I wish I could do like a standing ovation of an applause. (laughs) You said that so well. And I think it's so important to like talk through because we learn typical parenting techniques as we raise our children who aren't displaying these struggles. And oftentimes taking things away, that's a motivational kind of technique for parenting. Oftentimes that works. But when you have a child who's already going through difficulties with mood, 
right? And so Serena, that's you. Not, and I'm saying, I'm kind of just drilling it down to mood, even though your mood was impacted by something that was traumatic, which is, is a traumatic relationship with your father, a very disconnected um, relationship with him. But it, it trickled down to mood and you being able to, to manage the swings in your mood in a way that was safe for you. And so especially when we're talking about children who struggle with motivation, who do experience depression, who experience anger outbursts, whose moods are all up and down. So kids, and, and that means these are kids who often lie in the realm of, of having behavioral health needs or the health of their brain is, is compromised for a moment in time. Those children do not need the basis or the foundation of parenting techniques to be about motivation because it's not that you don't want to feel better. It's not that you want to act the way you're acting. You want it. You want it more than anything in the world. You want it to be better, right? You don't want this BS happening anymore, right? You did everything in your power to try and change it until you threw your hands up and said, screw it. I can't, right? And yeah. it's not about motivation at that point. It's truly not. It's about foundational. And Serena, you said this earlier, happiness, relationships in our life without foundational relationships that, that feed and give us what we need, which we're not always going to get from one individual, meaning you, mama, like Rebecca, you, you poured that in, but that's not going to fill all her cup, right? Not just that, but relationships across the board and doing things that bring you a happiness and joy and new experiences and get your body feeling things that it hasn't felt before, which is why you cut, right? You need, you, you, you needed to feel something again. So you cut. When I was in services for CFSS for like, meet me where I'm at, one of the things that was my coping skill was writing. And my aunt, um, her boyfriend at the time he worked at Facebook on like the report area and like he was talking to my aunt and he just didn't understand how people could be so depressed that they want to kill themselves and stuff like that and so like he doesn't think that depression was all that real and like it, it could get to that certain point and so she told me that she accidentally told him my story and so she apologized but that gave me an idea of what to write and so I ended up writing a letter about depression and what it was like and my experience and so like I put it in perspective I like told them I was like think of this and then this is how it was and so like I gave them perspectives and an image to put in their head for it but one of the things that I said that people commented on and thought that was a good like example is depression is like a bruise once you get it 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 doesn't just go away it's there for a while and if you hit it on accident it hurts and it's it it's painful and it just it can get bigger it can get bigger or it could just dial down and then grow back it's something that doesn't just change. Wow. Dang. Is there any parting words of wisdom or information that you want to share with folks before we, we say goodbye? Don't be afraid to ask for help because you never know what could happen. In the future, you could be a million-dollar person who saves lives 
or do something better in life like I plan to do. <laughs> Darn right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Serena and Rebecca, for joining us today and sharing your story and having the courage to be so vulnerable and putting that out for the world to hear. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for tuning in today. I hope you are feeling inspired and empowered in your own healing journey. I know that many of you listening might be reflecting on your own stories that you may feel called to share. If so, please reach out to me at dinat at empowertoheal.com. That's D-E-N-A-T at empower2heal.com. Or drop me a message through my Instagram handle at empower2heal. I would love to connect with you and learn about your journeys so that we can hopefully continue to spread these powerful life lessons on empowering ourselves to heal. My contacts will also be linked in the show notes below so that you can easily find me. We are so eager to start a movement in showcasing the many ways we can heal. And you can be part of this movement too by capturing images and tagging them hashtag empower the number two heal on Instagram. We look forward to seeing all the ways that you are empowered to heal. I love you beautiful souls and thank you so, so much. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and review. Damn.